Matthew 23, from verse 13. Remembering again, these are the words of Jesus, the Word of God. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it, and he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup and dish, and then the out, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisee, you, you hypocrites! You build, a tomb, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from time to time. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Well, you might want to keep that open because we're going to think about that passage uh, together. And I don't know what comes into your mind whenever you think about Jesus Christ, 
For many of us, I imagine the first thing that comes into our heads is we think of uh, someone who is gentle and welcoming, and, and we know that there are many stories in the Bible of Jesus exercising that sort of welcome, broken people run up to Him and fall on their feet in front of Him and pour out their hearts to Him, uh, children who are incredibly discerning gather around Him. Lots of stories that we would understand like that, that would, that would make us think of Jesus as, as gentle and welcoming. But while that's not untrue, a quick read through the Gospels will show us that it's not the whole story. There are times that Jesus is harsh and angry. We, we've read one of those times just now. We could turn to things like Him overturning the tables of the money changers in the temple. I heard someone say this week that they had listened to a CD of the Gospels, and the thing that really struck them was how rude Jesus was at times. And he reserved his fiercest criticism for the Pharisees, these religious leaders and the teachers of the law, their, their sort of sidekicks. And nowhere is there a more extended treatment of his feelings towards them, his criticism of them, than in this chapter. This is a long extended seven woes of a condemnation of the Pharisees. Now, this is a chapter that we wouldn't perhaps turn to very easily by ourselves, but one of the things that we believe as Christians is that we cannot do better than the real Jesus. So, sometimes people will try to imagine a Jesus other than the one that the Bible tells us about, and whenever we do that, we always end up with something that is less good, less good than the real Jesus. So we need to figure out how and why the real Jesus, as presented to us here in the Scriptures, is the way He is and says the things He says, remembering that we cannot do better than Him. Now, remember, we began to look at this chapter last week this is taking place in the run-up to the crucifixion just a few days before Jesus is going to be arrested and crucified. He's come into the city on Palm Sunday amidst great crowds, and now he's in the temple courts. He's teaching people in the temple courts, and it's here that he clashes with the Pharisees. And they have already decided that he should be put to death, that he's going, they're, they're trying to trap him, and that's the end that they're working towards. And this is an incredibly tense time. This climate is very difficult for Jesus. And yet, in the midst of this, he doesn't back off. He, he enters into this conflict with the Pharisees. Now, that, that in itself tells us something. Jesus knows exactly what is going on, but he almost provokes them. Now, some of us, you see, might, might think something like this about Jesus, very common that he was a, a great teacher, a really good man, but his very purity and his goodness was just very offensive to these corrupt leaders, and, and, and really through no design of his own, he found himself on the wrong side of things with them, and his death, therefore, was really just a tragic overreaction. But that doesn't fit the facts of the story at all. Jesus comes into Jerusalem intending to die, he is not a victim, you see. He's an offering. He's a, he's a sacrifice. He's intentionally laying down his own life. And whatever else we might think about Jesus, that's something we've got to understand, that he comes to this point intending to go to the cross. 
Well, in the first part of the, the chapter we saw last week, he doesn't actually speak to the Pharisees. He speaks to his followers and the crowd about them and really warns them not to be like the Pharisees. But now he, he turns and he speaks to them directly from verse 13 on. And you see that the Pew Bibles entitled this Seven Woes. It's a, he, there are seven sections where he calls down sort of condemnation and judgment upon them. And, and the number seven is significant. It's, it's this sort of speaks of fullness, of perfection. And so here is a, a full condemnation, if you like. They are completely in the wrong before God, and therefore they are flying in God's face. Now, we're not going to look this morning at each of these condemnations individually. Rather, we're going to try and understand why is it that, that Jesus and the Pharisees are at such odds? Why do they clash so significantly? What's at the heart of their disagreement? All sorts of abuses were going on in society in those days. Why does Jesus not speak so much about that, but reserve His greatest criticism for these religious leaders? It must have been something very important, and it was. Look at me Look with me at uh, verse 13, Jesus' first condemnation directed to them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. So here's what's so important, you see. This is all about entry to the kingdom of heaven. This is about what makes somebody right with God. It's about eternal life or, or eternal death, heaven or hell. According to Jesus, you see, the Pharisees are stopping people getting to heaven. They're not entering in, and they're stopping others too. They're sending people in the wrong direction. He goes on, you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So there's really nothing more important than this question. This is life or death and eternal life and eternal death. Now, again, this, this cuts across a really popular idea of Jesus, maybe one that, that some of us have, have considered. Lots of folks say, you know, Jesus was just a, a great religious teacher. He came to show us something about God, but, but there are other religious teachers out there who, who have some grasp of what's going on in the divine, uh, Buddha and Confucius and, and Muhammad, perhaps, and, and, and they all see a little further than the rest of us. And, and if we're able to, to pull from one and from the other, well, well, we'll end up with something great. You know, if you go to a very posh restaurant, you'll, you'll have a, a fusion menu, you know, where it pulls from. Uh, you, you end up with curried pasta or something. You, you, you get stuff from all over the world, and, and, and it, it hopefully produces something great. Well, there's a sort of a, a, a religious fusion, isn't there? That's the culture of the world today. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, all assuming that, that all these religious teachers are just seeing a little bit further than the rest of us. But Jesus won't allow us to put him in a box like that. He doesn't claim to be a great religious teacher on a par with others. He comes saying with authority, you have this wrong. You're closing the door to heaven. There is a way. I'm the way, and you're in the wrong. So you can't simply label Jesus as just a great religious teacher. He won't let you do that. And this is why Jesus is so mad at these people. And, and wouldn't we be? Imagine that, that you could see what Jesus sees. Great expanse of eternity stretching out before mankind. 
never-ending blessing to be entered into, never-ending suffering to be avoided. And imagine you could see that, and imagine that there was a group of people standing by a door and saying, here is the way. It's the way to eternal life. And yet you could see that it was the wrong door. It was one of many doors to destruction. And no matter what warnings these group, this group of people had, these false gatekeepers kept ushering people through this door to destruction. Now, if you could see that, wouldn't you be mad at them? Jesus could see this. Now, I want to take just a minute or two to, to think about some of the, the sort of thinking that underpins the beliefs that they had. Maybe you think, well, that's maybe an interesting and useful sort of historical thing, but, but, but it's much more than that because what the Pharisees believed is really what many people believe, what we would end up believing if if we don't listen to Jesus. It, it, it might be what we already think, in fact. Some of the old reformers, the, the Christians during the Reformation, they, they said, this is where the human heart tends to cast its anchor unless it listens to Jesus. So, so, so let's think about some of the things that we see popping up here that uh, help us see what these people believed. First of all, three, three things. I, I'm better, here's three common beliefs that I think we see in the lives of the Pharisees. I'm better than average. The things I do will count with God. And let's think about the outside so that we can forget about the inside. Let, let's just see how these pop up. Look at verses 29 and 30. I'm better than the average. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So one of the things that the religious leaders in those days did was they tended the tombs, they, they upkept the tombs of the prophets who had died long ago. You can visit some of those tombs today. And the thing is that, that, that many of those prophets had actually been put to death by the very people that God had sent them to. They, they didn't like to hear the message that God was say, saying to them. And those prophets were put to death. And as the religious leaders thought about the past, they thought to themselves, if we had been there, we would not have done that. We, we, we would have been better than that. We would have recognized the voice of God through the prophets. We would have supported them. We would have agreed with them. Others might have opposed them, but not us. We'd have got it right. You see, they thought that they were better than the average. That's not so different from us, is it? We tend to think of ourselves. It's one of the great human failings. We tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought you know, those surveys that get done, people get asked the question, do you think you're a better than average driver? You know, the results come back that 80 to 90% think of themselves as better than average drivers. Now, you don't have to be a math genius to realize that 30 or 40% of those people are absolutely wrong. But that's what we're like. We look at others and we think, you know, I, I'm, I'm better than average. In that story we read earlier of the tax collector and the Pharisee going to, to pray, we get a window into the tax collector's or into the Pharisee's heart, don't we? He, he stands up and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. 
He's just saying, I'm better than average. Now, you see, what we're trying to do whenever we do that, what we do as people, the Bible tells us what we do, we, we, we try to establish our own righteousness. We, we, we want to think of ourselves as in the right somehow, because we have a gnawing sense, we, we tend to suppress this, but we have a gnawing sense that we're not in the right. And so, what we do to try and establish our own righteousness, our own rightness, is one of the things we do is we measure ourselves against others. And we say, do you know what? According to what I see out there, according to what I hear in the news and read in the papers, I'm better than the average. That's what these guys did. And yet, the truth is, they were as much of a mess as everyone else. In fact, they were worse, of course, because in fact, they were standing in front of God's most recent and greatest messenger, saying, we wouldn't have killed the previous messengers, and yet they were plotting to kill this one. Do you think of yourself ever as better than average? One of the chaps who's spoken in this church is an English preacher called Rico Tice. He's a a, a, a guy who's very, been very much used in terms of explaining the Christian message. Regal wasn't a Christian since from the time that he was a, a, a young boy. He, he became a Christian a, a, in his a, late teens. And, and he really believed that he was a really good guy, and he began to write a journal because he felt that the world needed to know what a great guy he was. And uh, he was only into that a few days, maybe a week or two, before he started to realize that as he examined his life, he really was a mess, and it ended up driving him to Jesus. Do you know, it would be the same for any of us had we the courage to be honest enough about ourselves. Here's one of the underpinning beliefs of the Pharisees that, that made Jesus so angry, I'm better than average. Here's a second one. The things that I do will impress God will count with God. Look at verse 23. We're not doing these in order, but, but verse 23, the fourth woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. So here's something that's really at the heart of the Pharisees' thinking. They were trusting in their own performance to earn a welcome from God. Here, the Pharisees tithe their spices. Tithing is, is where you give a proportion of your income or what you get to uh, God and God's work. And uh, the Bible talks about that, of course. But actually, whenever the Bible sets out parameters for that, it, it, it doesn't talk about spices because the quantities involved are so small. But the Pharisees did this. In other words, they went further than what was expected, and they relied on that sort of rule-keeping in order that they might hold their heads up whenever they thought about being in God's presence. Again, going back to that earlier story, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you remember what he says, I thank you that I'm not other, like other men. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. I tithe. So if you were to ask the Pharisee, why should God accept you? He would say, because I do good things. I'm better than the average, and I do a lot of good stuff. And whenever we have a few good things that we do, or things that we think are good, they can easily distract us from what we don't do. 
Jesus points that out with these folk here. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, verse 23, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guide, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So you see, he's saying to them, you're hanging on to those few bits of the law that you keep while God calls you to live a life of justice and mercy and faithfulness. In other words, the gaps in your life are massive. The things undone are monumental. You fall so far short, and yet you hang on to your tithed spices. It's like the diner, Jesus says, who shows up to sit down to his soup. He sees a tiny gnat in his soup. He strains it out, but he misses the body of a camel, and so he sups away, swallowing the camel in the process. It's ludicrous. Actually, Jesus draws attention to the fact that they're actually capable of bending the rules to suit themselves as well, and that's the whole point of the discussion about swearing oaths in verses 16 to 22. In those days, whenever you you swore an oath, you you called the person that you swore by it to be a witness and in a sense to, to act against you should you break your oath. And so the idea of swearing by God or in God's name was a big deal because you did not want God coming after you if you broke your oath. So you tended to swear by something less than God. Had to be important, but less than God. So you swore by the temple or by the, the altar. The thing was, though, they played a whole series of games that if if you swore by the gold on the temple, well, it was binding. If you swore by the temple itself, well, it wasn't binding. Remember how you used to be as kids? I promise. And then you said, "Ah, I had my fingers crossed. Remember? A bit like that. Didn't count. You see, they, they knew that the implications of being an entirely truthful person were just so great, they couldn't cope with it, so they twisted the law to suit themselves. So they were still able to say, but I tithe my spices, you see. I've got some good things that I think about. That's where we go, isn't it? Our hearts are desperate to find some evidence to say, I'm not so bad. The hole that I'm in is not so deep. I don't really need a savior. The things I do will impress God. Third thing, we're able to look at the outside to sort of distract us from the inside. Look at at verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. That's a fairly obvious illustration from Jesus. Nobody wants to drink from a cup where the outside is clean, but the inside is dirty. But you see, this is what the Pharisees were like. They had all these external rules. They'd sort of cleaned themselves up on the outside, so they looked good. They knew how far you could walk on a Sabbath. They knew uh, what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. All of these external rules. But inside, Jesus says, they were a mess, full of greed and self-indulgence. Can't we be like that? Oh, you know, I, I pay my taxes. I obey the speed limit. And, and yet, inside, whew, well, we don't really want to look inside because we know that it's not so pretty. So, so we, we cling to 
those external things that make us look pretty good in other people's eyes. You see, here's the thing. These Pharisees had an outside-in religion. They thought if they did all the outside things right, well, that would sort of make them right on the inside somehow. But you see, Christianity works entirely the other way around. It's an inside-out thing. You need to have your heart right And whenever we look inside, we realize that our hearts are not right. So what we need is we need our hearts changed. We need God to come and do something inside of us. And then the outside will follow. Jesus says this, Mark 7, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these, lists, all these evils come from inside a man and make him unclean. What a list of stuff. Jesus says, why, why, why do we act like this? Why, why are people bad? Because there's something inside that's wrong. And so that transformation can't be done by keeping some external rules, but only by receiving a new heart. So here were some of these beliefs that underpinned the the thinking of the Pharisees. Better than average. Surely the the good things that I do, that God will take notice of those. And, And let's think about the outside and not worry too much about the inside. But it wasn't working for them. Jesus said of them, you don't enter the kingdom. It's not the way. But those things are common today. Isn't it the case if you ask someone, do you think, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And they say, well, yeah, I hope so. Uh, why? why? Why do you think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm lived a reasonably good life. I, you know, I'm not like some of those people I, I, I read about in the papers. I'm doing the best I can. But those things are not the way. And Jesus sees these beliefs that underpin the, the, the thinking of the Pharisees leading people into destruction, and he's mad because he knows there is a way that he is the way. He refers to it here, doesn't he? O Jerusalem, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. It's a great picture, isn't it? You maybe walk into a farmyard and you see the, the chicks scurrying off to get in under the wings of their mother. Safety, protection, shelter, and you see, this is what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders. You're not offering the way, but, but I am the way. There is safety and protection that lasts forever, and it's under my shelter. Jesus died to give us that shelter. He was on his way to, to lay down his life on the cross so that we might find shelter in him. See, the human heart's not changed. That's why it was one of the reasons that the Bible is so relevant, isn't it? Because the very things that people clinged on to 
2,000 years ago, oh, they, they, they look different, but they're really identical. Better than average. Things I do will count with God. Think about the outside, not the inside. And Jesus says, it's not the way, but he is the way. Won't you give yourself to him? Won't you at least begin to investigate him? the one who says that he is the way and the truth and the life. There's no other way. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is not tolerant of what is false. For what a mess we would be in if he had not told us the truth. We pray that you will help us to believe him and to trust him with everything. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.